How are you, Andrew? Hey, man. Being a temperamental left winger, I'm I'm very much concerned with the bottom of uh, of of the bottom of the world and how how we can make it work. So uh, I've been thinking about how uh, how um, the 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 age you know the amazing age of prosperity in the 20th century how how this actually happened. So capitalism slowly revved up in the 19th century. People were desperately poor in the 19th century, nonetheless, even though there was there was there was this uh, n this new prosperity was happening. Uh, it, it seems to me that the uh, economic decency came to the larger Western public uh, in the first half of the 20th century, and this great event, which is an absolutely amazing event, was obscured by the events of the wars. The wars were so dramatic and occupied us in in, in such a deep way that we were unaware of, of this other great event that was going on independently of the wars. And what was going on was- Are you, uh, sure, it was all, are you sure it was independently of the wars? Uh, that's a very but good that's, question. That's, that's, yeah. That does, doesn't quite work for me because so, somehow there's always this story where wars are, are big money generators. Wars are, wars are economy generators. Yeah, that's a big theory. And then there's that, it's also another theory that the American economy has been a, a war economy for a hundred years. and. And it still is a war economy. So the, it seems to me the union finally was able to integrate itself properly and in the in the capitalist economy. And uh, I have a sociologist friend. His name is Steve Lopez. He explained this to me that uh, when the when the war ended ended, Germany. Um, the you know the Nazis were completely shamed in Germany, and 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 Ger uh, Ger Germans were completely humbled and and went about the process of building a new society and they created this fascinating structure they created this threefold negotiating structure between government business and and the unions and so in order to make in order for big companies to make any decision it had to be made at the table with government and with the unions so that all three of them came to an agreement and they would on a on a regular basis, sit down if there was a and 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 renegotiate and make plans for the future. And this was a, in many ways, a, a very non-conflictual way of doing things because uh, that all the conflict was in the negotiation. And once the negotiations were 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 achieved, were, were finished, then business they just went ahead with their plan. They went they, with the exact plan that all three all three parties agreed to. So I was sort of fascinated by this. I thought this was a really fascinating thing, and I do think that all around the Western world, including North America. There was whether or not this was this particular three-way negotiating process was official. It it was more or less something like that 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 occurred. So government was evolved in 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 the economy in in business and capitalism, and so was big business, and so were unions, and they were all involved, and they all had a stake, and that and that created this complex counterpoint of uh, of powers and a, a sort of. A complexity of counterpoint is, is 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 a seems to me is what it is what is needed to make a fair economy. And what this did in the post-war years was what I mean. It, the Western world happened to be extremely prosperous during those years, and the and the, the whole society, you know, with relatively few exceptions, uh, did extremely well. The uh, the it was an amazing period. Uh, and now. The West. Uh, I grew up in a left-wing house, and 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 we, you know, I, I, I was around a culture that picked apart all the negatives of this particular uh, uh, social economy, 
But nonetheless, uh, in retrospect, looking back, it seems to me it's probably the fairest society we've ever had. The, the period, say, between 1945 and the mid-80s or something So like until, that. until Reagan and neoliberalism yeah. and, yeah. and yeah. Uh, globalization and, and all of yeah. that. Yeah. Now, to explain Reaganism, it seems to me that in the late 70s, in the 1970s, it didn't work as well. It, was, it went into decline, unemployment began to rise, uh, there was a lot of unease in, the, in, in, in society, uh, and there, was, there was, seemed to be a, a feeling that there was a need to shake things up. And another thing is, uh, big companies knew damn well that there was cheap labor outside. Like there were these these uh, jobs were also upheld by uh, you know high tariffs and things like that. Governments governments had uh, trade tariffs to to protect these industries and whatnot. So it was a it was a protectionist um, uh, arrangement. But it seems to me, looking at that now now in retrospect, and I, and I was on the side which very much you know I was only a kid at the time, but I was a part of a, a culture that saw this as uh, dark, as this, this change as something. Uh, in retrospect, 40 years later, I think of it as probably the most amazing uh, period, just as amazing a period of economic history as the period following the wars. It's just that it wasn't amazing for us. <laughs> in other words, what happened was the trade barriers came down, the free trade, free trade started, we moved all our manufacturing to... to uh, well, first of all, the unions were broken in the U.S. by Reaganism. But then in the 90s, globalization began. This was a very dramatic time, very uh, volatile, very unstable for the Western world. Uh, it seems to me we paid an enormous price for what in turn was the amazing uh, economic uh, uh, prosperity of basically the rest of the world. <laughs> I mean, this is – it was uh, incredible. This, uh, I mean, I, I was – I was terrified of this in the 90s when, when I was in my 20s, that it was, uh, I just felt so vulnerable, economically vulnerable, that there were no jobs and this kind of stuff. And, mm -hmm. and I was not alone. And scores of people wondered if, in fact, our economy was going to collapse completely because there seemed to be no way of, to support government, rev, government, government revenues and these type of things. Our manufacturing base, it felt as though, I think in, in reality, it wasn't fully the case. There was manufacturing that stayed and, and survived. But uh, we certainly had a feeling that our manufacturing base had disappeared, had been just taken out from under us. And when that happens, you basically lose your tax base. And, that, uh, and so we, we just felt like we had no uh, – uh, everything was, was fluttering in the air. With, with, it's like having a building without a ground floor. That's what it felt like. Uh, and and, and – uh, and so it was, it was hovering in the air and just ready to, just ready to fall and crash, it seemed to me. And, and, and I just thought, I felt through the 90s that this was going to happen. And then somewhat what amazed me is that the economy turned around and everything went to buzz and things got, things got you know, there were jobs and things went well again. <laughs> and I, didn't, I don't think I understand that, except that capitalists will talk about, you know, there are always upturns and downturns in, in, any, in a capitalist economy and that's, that's life. But it's I did my understanding of how that worked didn't doesn't I, I just don't understand so. Well, it's a funny it's, thing. Like I I mean I, again I'm not an economist and I yeah. don't really have any much informed vision of all this. But you know you get a feeling of what's going on from the news in some sense. And and yeah. I I felt like like ten years ago 
there was this incredible pessimism about where the world was going. And now it seems like there's this, there's this kind of new kind of optimism. And I don't know whether I trust the optimism because it's, it's, it, it might be just the information that I'm getting on my Twitter feed or, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, I don't, I don't, I'm I don't not know. picking up on the optimism. I'm not, I'm not, well, there's all Steve Pinker and, 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 uh, and you know, there's all these stories. Oh, that, I see. You, you're you know, talking and, about the yeah, And, yeah. and how, I know there's all these, these uh, stories about how India is, is now, you know, people are not starving to death. You know, mm. poverty has gone down everywhere and, you know, there's life is getting great, better and better. And that's the kind of, you know, I guess maybe even just five years ago, Mm, I, I had the sense, okay, there's like, we're on the Titanic and we're heading towards global warming and the, you know, everything's going to collapse. And recently it's like, Oh no, no, we're, we're, we're building a better and better world. And I don't know why that's happening, but it's, it's just, I, I'm just, I, what I'm describing is the information that gets fed to me through, through media, which is very strange these days. And yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it's very hard to process or understand what, what the hell it is like. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm basically kind of talking exactly about that, that this was a very unstable time, but nonetheless, there were, there were enormous benefits going on. Now, people are talking about all the enormous benefits that, that are happened to China and India. And all. Now, there, that doesn't mean there aren't negatives. doesn't mean there isn't an environmental, an environmental price to pay and that kind of stuff. But it does seem that, that the, these countries are way more, there's way more money in these economies. And, the, and that allows for all kinds of uh, other benefits uh, to, to people all around the world. Uh, and so there, it seems to me that the period beginning with Reaganism amounted to a, what I would call a capitalist redistribution of wealth all around the world, of wealth that, that was constant. Well, not, it was also new wealth created, but in part, some wealth was redistributed from the West to, to these places. I think part of the reason why the, this globalization worked is because we, in turn, we gave up good jobs for cheap products. So, uh, you know, we would pay back in the 70s, we would pay way more, say, for a television or something like yeah. that than we do now. And it's because of uh, because they're made much more cheaply uh, at, a, at a much cheaper cost. Well, there's also the free economy right now, on, you know, uh, in the sense that information is free, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only is the information free, most music and 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 uh, and, yeah. uh, and 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 TV, everything is free is you can get it. It's not yeah. always legal, but everything is. You know. No, that's a whole other, it's a whole other dimension of how uh, it, that's, uh, that seems to me almost like a subsidy or something. Like the internet is, is this massive subsidy that, that, that helps us. Uh, it's a free tool, essentially. I mean, it's not free. We pay a little bit, but we don't pay much. And uh, you know, we get all this free information, which in the past we had to pay for quite a bit. Uh, but, but, uh, so I'm just trying to give you a little historical backdrop of my, my sense of my understanding of where we are now. And so in other words, there's been a, the world is getting, the world is getting richer, uh, but there is a still a, a, a grave sense of, of uh, insecurity and the, this sense that, uh, you know, people, there was a time when people paid into pensions and then, then they retired and they had this pension and then they were set, they were set for their retirement. And this kind of thing. Well, people, people haven't been paying into retirement. You know, people, people don't have pensions set up anymore. This is, this is something that there was a people prior to the 1970s had, so to speak. It probably, or not up until the 80s, say. And then the pension uh, economy began to wane. 
Uh, and it's because the money there was there, there was way more money in in our in the Western economies than it seems to me than there is now at least at least to invest and put aside. Well, maybe a way out, that's why everything the prices have gone down and there's all, all this free this free stuff is that you know. Well, we're working out new ways to figure this out. You can't really pay for anything these days, in some sense, you know, with your your little salary. Uh, um, but we still, we definitely still know. pay rent. We still, we still pay rent and and how you know property taxes and stuff like that. We still still has to cost, still costs to live. But it's true that uh, that that the money money in a sense is not. It almost seems less important. It's it, because other things are other things are being covered by other means. Uh, it seems that way. Uh, anyway, the uh, so I was thinking about this and and uh, it. And it dawned on me that, well, it didn't dawn on me, this came over a very long period of time, that we needed to uh, reintegrate notions of subsistence economy back into the money economy. And I have this sense that uh, a big part of the great prosperity of the, the first to half of the 20th century, up until about 1970, is due to the continuing existence of subsistence economy during that period. In other words, there were still loads and loads of family farms out, out of town and that kind of stuff. And so the money economy was picking up. People were getting jobs. The jobs were getting better. There were good industrial jobs, this kind of stuff. But there were still people, you know, some, some member of the family still had a farm with, 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 with animals and things like that out of town, this kind of stuff. Well, yeah, even Illich calls it it's, uh, it's shadow work. Yeah. As being well, like, I don't know, 30% of the economy or 40% of the, you know, the, the real economy is, is not, you know, taking account. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could call that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's related to what I what I consider to be subsistence economy, too. Yeah. Every time you sweep the floor, for example, that's that's work. Uh, but anyway, I feel that there was a lot of wealth generated from subsistence economy. People had gardens and animals they, that they slaughtered and this type of thing. They had sheep that they... They had a cow, and and then, and and this became less and less so. And by 1970, it had completely disappeared from at least from North America. And everybody at, from that point on was entirely dependent upon money. Whereas before, there were these older practices still in place where it just uh, seemed normal and natural for for the old people to carry on in in their old ways. You know. Yeah. They, and, Sorry to interrupt, uh, but what like I, I was thinking like when you always hear that oh people in the past lived on one dollar a day and I, I I hear that and I think that's bullshit. It's like they had robust subsistence economies. That's yeah. The reason. I mean that that kind of that kind of statistic in a way there's something true about it, right? Because it means they didn't have a they didn't have a money economy. We didn't leave live how we live now, but there was other richnesses that you know. I don't know how to yeah. say that. Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. The idea that they were dirt poor and had nothing is yeah. not quite right. They had, uh, they had gardens and they had uh, fruit trees and animals. And that's the kind uh, of, I guess, Peterson's optimism about all of, you know, what's happening now. You know, I, that's, I always feel critical about that a little bit. Uh, that, you know, okay, back in the, in, in the past, people had such really terrible, hard, desperate lives. And, and, and now, I don't know. I, I think it is the case that... Uh, that's a kind of a difficult thing to talk about because it is. Yeah. Uh, the, the first things like child mortality was really high then. And it was, it was more than it was, it was, it was related to poverty, but it was, it wasn't just, it was mostly related to knowledge. It was related to the fact that there were no cures for a lot of these childhood diseases, <laughs> but yeah. I think their lives, they ate well and they were well housed, 
Uh, yeah. but they, and maybe they, they had, had community, right? They, they yeah. didn't have this level of depression and schizophrenia. That's everywhere in, in, in a modern. I think there was a, a new, there was a rise in, in awareness of a hygiene as well in the early 20th century, which uh, really improved, uh, 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 you, uh, you know, it improved the health of the larger population. Yeah, no and doubt. so that's another, uh, that's kind of, uh, so science and technology really improved uh, the, ba the lives of the average person. But the loss of social, the subsistence economy was a terrible loss, I think. And people call this the, the loss of traditional life, but I think that's a, that's a little bit of a, uh, that's a, a bit, little bit of a, misno a misnomer because it's very easy to have a subsistence economy in a modern life or in an urbane life. It's just, I don't know if it's easy, but it's certainly imaginable. You can do it. And uh, that's not traditional. So subsistence and traditional don't mean the same thing. And so this is kind of, so I'm, I'm, I'm working on the idea that uh, subsistence economy can, can be reintegrated into cities, into the urbane life. And we can have a, an, ent an entire level of, ec of economic life, which is essentially unrelated to making money, unrelated to going out, getting a job and making money. Yeah, so, well, you know, in a way where, you know, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm putting out content and writing and I'm not being paid. Like, you know, we're, we're having this conversation. I, I have my job, right, on one yeah. hand. And that's about 50% of, of my, even less, I probably, of my work, right? I mean, how would you define work, right? I, I, work is doing the stuff that's kind of hard that you don't really want to do, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's. It's, it's the, it's, and, and, and we, but you do it because it makes your life meaningful, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so I, you know, my, my wife, she, she has a full-time job in hotel and, and most of her work is work, you know, uh, for me, it's yeah. like 50%. Or, mm -hmm. So, so well, I wonder, I I wonder if, that's, call, if that's a subsistence economy. That's what you're talking about. Absolutely. I would we're, say we're moving more into that and I'm not being yeah. paid for that, but but it, it, there, there are some, I guess, rewards, intangible rewards. Well, I would say you would probably first and foremost think of essay writing as cultural life. Uh, and uh, you might think of it as intellectual life or even political or something like that. But it has, absolutely is economic. It, it, you know, it, it, it has an effect on people. If they're interested in your essays, then they read it. And it has various effects on them. And they, it'll influence how they behave. And so everything, in a sense, I mean, just, I mean, everything, everything overlaps a little bit with everything else. So, you know, you can think of that as economic and you may eventually get paid for that from writing those essays. You may, uh, who knows? Yeah. Uh, but, but I do agree that we can imagine, say, a world of making art. Like, I think since most people stack up at the bottom of hierarchies, to quote uh, Andrew Sweeney, and for example, since most artists don't make any money. Let's quote Jordan can... Peterson. Sorry, huh? you, said, you said to quote Andrew Sweeney, but uh, quote Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. Uh, <laughs> uh, Peterson. I, I wouldn't want to. Um... Oh, no, you got it right. So anyway, the uh, that I'm thinking that there's all this art, and some of it is really good art that never that never gets involved in the monetary economy, but is nonetheless involved in people's lives. Now maybe we can call that not economics, but cultural life. But mm -hmm. let's say. You make a, a pie and you give it to your friend. Well, that's obviously economic. And, you know, it's a gift. Uh, but, you know, they eat the pie. And if they're eating the pie, they're not eating another pie. And that means they don't have to go out and buy one. 
if they, you know, if they, you know, sit down and eat the pie, they don't get it. So that there's a, there's a, uh, there's a, a, a deeper level of economics, which is profoundly non-monetary. Yeah, well, you, I see that also at uh, you know at this uh, Buddhist community. I know uh, th- there's these people. The the lady is probably a master of Cuban Cuban percussion, you know, of of some kind, and could probably be earning tons of money doing that if she wanted to. But yeah. they actually have chosen not to, right? Engage in that way. So you know, they're they're making all this extraordinary art and music, uh, but it's but they're not they're not um, you know it's not. It's, yeah, it's, it's for the sake of it's. I don't know. I don't know for the sake of itself. But then you know, on the other hand, right? Okay, uh, if I'm being paid, if I'm being I'm being paid ten dollars for for an essay that I put on Medium, I'm I'm pretty damn happy to be to be paid for. Sure. For creative yeah. out, out output, yeah. it's like it's like the should um, be of being paid for that. I think we're digressing a little bit in talking about cultural matters such as the arts. I'd like to stick as closely as possible to economic work. In other words, work which produces things that we consume for economic benefits, such as food, shelter, and clothing, this type of thing. Uh, So uh, 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 so I just want to back up a little bit. So I just discussed Reaganism and and globalization, free free trade, and this kind of stuff. I think one of the reasons why... uh, there was a huge amount of capitalist economy was shifted over to these countries is, I mean, obviously because the labor was much cheaper, but there's a reason why the labor was much cheaper is because these people were living off the land. They, they, they were, they, they were completely, their economies were basically subsistence economies and, and subsistence economies lend themselves to a rapid prosperity, uh, monetary prosperity in, in a capitalist uh, climate. In other words, subsistence economy and money economy have a, a dynamic relationship where one helps the other. It seems to me a terrible mistake once you develop a, a robust money economy to get rid of your subsistence economy. It's a, it's a wretched mistake. You should keep it. You should make sure you keep it. Uh, and I think we made... Or you should valorize it because it's always going to be there in some way. No, I mean... Well, it's always saying, there. In the you're, sense saying, you're saying it wasn't; it was destroyed. Around. Well, in the sense that we got rid of uh, we got rid of animal and and vegetable husbandry in fairly quickly and easily in our society. You oh, know, most people lived most people lived on farms uh, 130 years ago, and now only you know two percent of the people are involved in agriculture. And back then, it was a crazy percentage. I forget the percentage, but really high. So and you're so, talking kind of a return to artisanal. Yes, I am. And uh, uh, work, work in a sense. I'm basically saying that uh, we, uh, if, if we don't have a strong enough uh, uh, dynamic, economic dynamic of subsistence, making your own food, growing your own food, doing, helping each other out, uh, developing skills, uh, to, you know, fixing up your own house, that kind of stuff, then uh, you, uh, if you, if that's not strong enough, then we you 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 will you we will be forever vulnerable to the volatility of the money economy, which it seems to me is inherently volatile, or at least the capitalist one. And I don't believe uh, the socialists have figured out anything anything different. <laughs> so okay. I'm not even going there. I'm not even going. That's not not going to entertain alternatives to capitalism because they don't seem to the only the only system that seems to have really worked is that is you know. There, there can be government revenues can be can be taken out of the capitalist economy so as to so to create social enterprise, which I'm, I'm which I'm in favor of, 
you know, basically the mixed economy that we have in the Western world seems to be the best system that has ever worked. And uh, it seems yeah. to me that the union was also an essential feature of what really set down, established a, 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 a voice a for the basic, workers. Yes. And, a, and, and the fairest capitalist economy that the world has ever known basically was uh, the period between the second world war, maybe even a little bit before and, uh, and say 1980. And that was, then that was basically dismantled. There are, there are still some unions, but basically not, nothing, nothing. It's not, it's not what it used to be. Yeah. I was going to say they're, they're being destroyed in France. Actually the unions, they're just, they're just losing. It seems to me that the unions don't have, and it's simply, it, we, they don't have a, a strong enough footing anymore. So, so what I, I thought about this for a long time and I, and I realized that uh, I'm not going to, even though I'm going to acknowledge the importance of the unions historically, I'm not going to think about them as, as a, a viable piece of the future. So they may well be, or they may, or they may be a smaller piece or something like that, but they're not, they're, in other words, I, I did not, I just simply didn't consider the, uh, the, their importance in the future. And so if you're in a capitalist economy, and you're subject to the whims of the capitalist economy, the upturns and the downturns and all that kind of stuff. And you basically are, you only get paid, you know, whatever. In other words, the salaries in that, in this, at least for the time being are going to remain relatively low. It's there's, there's an argument out there that is as the rest of the world gets richer, then the cost of their labor also goes up and that will bring up in turn, bring up the cost of our labor. And that will make us, that'll, that'll be better as well. But in terms of making a living through, by having a job, that is a that's a uh, that is something I certainly don't have a huge amount of faith in, as that as, you know that being the fundamental unit of socioeconomic well, that comes that comes from uh, that comes from factory models, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's that's what's that's already obsolete in a sense. Well, in we have fact, service in industries. Some ways and, and the, the factory model is is sort of. It's sort of, you know, I, I, you know, even education is like, there's these monolithic structures that are, are not in tune with yeah. how things are, how things really are, are, are moving to what things are moving towards and, and how people are, are behaving and, and uh, you know. Okay. I'm glad you mentioned that because that makes me think of, so we've also evolved in, in, in as, an, as a new way of making money. People are becoming self-employed. They're doing stuff on, with their computers, on the internet. Yeah, yeah. And there's all kinds of more. But the thing is, uh, it's fairly clear to me that not everybody's capable of being self-employed. It's a relatively small percentage of the population who actually have that capacity for to self-employ. That's the, uh, that might be true. I, I do think that there's a uh, a dimension of shepherding involved in socioeconomics. In other words, mm -hmm. uh, there's a there's a fairly significant percentage of the population who more or less need to be taken care of, so to speak. Now, this doesn't mean they can't do valuable work, but they. Uh, they don't, they're not going to. to well, I, would, I would go even further than that. I, I mean, I know I have, when I have too much time on my hands, I, I'm less productive actually than when yeah. I have, yeah. you know, when I have a job and then I'm, you know, I, you know, I have other things to do and I, and I have this structure of your, you don't have structure in your, in your life here. You can very easily sleep in and, you know, mm -hmm. get, get hooked to, to, serial yeah. tv and and just you know have naps all the time and i don't know this you know you just you lose your 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 structure very easily i do oh me too yeah. absolutely yeah yeah no absolutely uh so uh the 
so I started that that's basically I'm setting it up. I'm setting, I'm setting, I'm setting you up so that I can, I can talk about what I think is a, uh, is a possible solution, which I also believe is a possible solution for the, the environmental, uh, environmental crisis we, we seem to be facing. And that is, well, there's a, there's a, a potential for mass redundancy, a potential for a lack of money in our economy, a potential for there being increasing numbers of dispossessed people, people who are simply cannot uh, cannot find a place in all in these competence hierarchies that that uh, that that basically run the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and you know when you think of competence hierarchies, you don't just think of electricians and plumbers. You you also think about someone who can you know play the guitar at a party. Uh, you know there's all kinds of uh, there's all kinds of competence hierarchies. There. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it seems to me that there's a there, and one one way to include every every as many people as possible in competence hierarchies is to have as many competence hierarchies as possible. <laughs> so if you don't fit into one well, then you go off and try your hand at something else. You keep trying your hand at something until you find a place inside the hierarchy. But even and that's a that's a beautiful and dynamic way, and a free way to think of the world. Uh, but it 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 seems to me also that huge number numbers of people are still left out of it. They just don't, uh, they, they just don't, uh, they don't find a place. Or at least there's a fear that increasingly people won't find a place. I'm thinking about all of the waste that uh, we produce because we're consumers society and the amount of garbage that goes out on the street every week in say in my neighborhood, there's a, you know, a crazy amount of garbage goes out on, out on the street. The amount of cars that get sent to the, to the junkyard. Now they do get smelted down and stuff, but I'm thinking that this, this, all of this garbage, including uh, the stuff, whatever we flush down the toilet, you know, uh, feces and uh, including that, that kind of sewage is, uh, is valuable and it has enormous economic potential. And what if we set up a new ethic in which nothing, no, absolutely no, not one unit of waste were to leave your neighborhood. If absolutely everything were to, all, and, and you organize yourself, you organized yourself uh, very deliberately in such a way that nothing would leave. Then, and and what what if this became a very profound ethic? First of all, it would take care of an enormous amount of our uh, our environmental uh, problem, I believe. For one, we would we would start consuming less because we would have all this stuff that we would be forced to to reconvert into something new, which would function as economic uh, wealth. You know, we could you could create all kinds of stuff with it. You could build. You could. You, I can imagine that with the waste produced by neighborhoods, you can build new houses fairly easily. And I, I can also imagine that rich neighborhoods, because they're too busy making money, would not be interested in doing this. But they would most definitely be interested in throwing all the garbage down into poor neighborhoods. And if they were adequately organized, they'd be delighted to have it all. Well, all they these could, they could create a house through three D printing. They just put all the material and the garbage <laughs> into some kind of vat and make this new material and then build houses out of it. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can imagine, there's no end to imagining what can happen with every time a house gets torn down, for example, you, you have fairly strict, uh, a strict ethic in place where nothing is, nothing is wasted. So you save all the wood, you save the windows, you even as much as possible, if you're going to beat, beat up the, the concrete foundation, for example, then you save, you just save the blocks of you know, the rocks, you know, and the, and the debris yeah. and that gets reused all of it. Absolutely. It, every, and the plastic and the it insulation. Is strange. It is strange that we have, we use all the stuff and then we just throw it away. Isn't it? It's, 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 
it's kind of well, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is we uh, we have this we yeah that's right we make all this stuff and then we put it in the dump or uh, now there is a lot of recycling that's going on but I think recycling is very expensive and doesn't uh, it's 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 a very inefficient way of doing things the, yeah but it's of, not the problem with recycling is is it's another government service that's doing it you're not really exactly yeah. you're not engaged in it. So, yeah, so, so I think what you're talking about is, 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 is some kind of, it again, it comes, goes back to Petersonian idea of responsibility, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so it's a, it's a question of how do you engage? It's a question of being engaged in, in that kind of process, which right now we're kind of helpless in a sense. You know? Yeah. We're very vulnerable. We, we have meaning, relatively meaningless lives. Yeah. And we don't make anything. We don't do stuff. I mean, some people do, but they do it because they're driven to do it because they, they like that kind of thing. It's a hobby or whatever. But, you know, they make clothes or whatever. But what if everybody who doesn't uh, fit in well, or I mean, I can imagine lots of, if, if this particular way of life were to really take off, people would lose interest in, lo in low wage jobs because their, their lives, their economic lives in the neighborhoods would be more interesting and more, uh, more prosperous because they... I can imagine, if you imagine the recent, for example, I, I, I have worm composting here in my basement. I, 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 what I do is I shred cardboard and paper and I take my food scraps from my kitchen and I mix it all together and I have worms that, that eat it and they eat the paper too. And they, they create compost with it. Yeah, yeah. it. Takes a few months and you feed it, you know, I just dump uh, the new, uh, you sort of organize it in such a way that the, it's eventually, you, you know, you have, you sort of feed the paper and the food scraps at one end and the, the compost is eventually is formed at the other end. You know, there's this process that happens. And uh, so there's, there's all kinds of ideas which would result, I believe, in, in robust food production in, 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 in the neighborhoods of inner cities, in poor neighborhoods. That if, if people saw the logic of this and actually began to uh, organize around it, then uh, we would have robust uh, under economies. Yeah, but then we'd have to talk to our neighbors, Stephen. That would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Well, yeah. This is this is another thing. This is the social side. I've I've been very worried about all well, my yeah. life. All my life, I've been worried about the loss of community. I had a very strong sense yeah. as a child that the the older generations had a much stronger community than uh, than than I had. And, and that, that I also had a community which was ever weakening. And uh, the older I got, I could see that community was, was ever diminishing. Well, you uh, probably was, have more of a community in St. John's than, than you would have here. And it's funny, like I find the community here where, you know, I'm an ex-patriot. So, so I'm not as involved in the community as, as, as I, 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 could, I would be probably if I was French. But the people I know, you, you know a lot of people on a superficial sort of, you know, you never get to a, another, you know, nobody, like I know that I know the upstairs neighbor, we smile, we say hello, we, we, you know, we both have dogs, but we haven't had exchange a meal together, you know, in the, in the, how many years I've been living in this apartment complex, which, which, which is kind of people let, prefer it that way because yeah, yeah, yeah. they like yeah, to yeah. have their walls like, uh, and, uh, you know, and, um, but, but on the other hand, it's a little bit, it's a little bit strange, isn't it? I mean, yeah, no, I completely agree. It seems to me that a real community is, is something like a circle of 50 to a hundred people. And it does seem to me, it's a bit artificial to like members of a community aren't necessarily friends, but they do recognize that they're members of a community. So there's, a, there's some kind of, 
understood. Uh, it's a tissue of collaborative. It's a, somehow a collaborative tissue where people support each other, but they don't necessarily uh, like each other and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know? Well, there's, yeah. there's, there's like a, a thing that happens in Paris where all the, all, you know, there's a food day and everybody goes down to the, to the canals and cooks food and has a big picnic together. It's like, hmm. these hmm. kind of things are very sane. I, I don't know. Yeah. 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 So uh, like I'm imagining if, if uh, these neighborhoods uh, were not allowed to, you know, uh, we're, we're set up so as not to keep, so as to keep every article of garbage, every article of waste, every car wreck, every, every house uh, torn down, then there would be a designated area in neighborhoods where you would have designated, you would, everything would be sorted. So all the metals would be in one pile, all the, the heavier metals, the lighter metals would be in one pile, like the tin and that kind of stuff. The heavier metals would be in another, and then the wood would be in another, and then the, you know, this kind of thing. And there, there would be a fairly uh, engaged process and with a division of labor. So, and there'd be a pot because people are getting, people get rid of clothes all the time. So you'd have a bit, you'd have a, you'd have one as designated area with a pile of clothes and, uh, and this type of thing, you'd have rubber, you'd have a pile of rubber, rubber tires and rubber boots and you know, all that kind of stuff. Leather would be another pile. And then, the, then you'd have this another level, another, so you'd you'd have people sorting this stuff and organizing it, sorting it into its quality, and then you would have other people who would take it and uh, and do things with it. You know. Yeah. Okay. And, so as you're saying this, I am I am getting some visions of Stalinist collectivism and and like. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would have to be. I I would. It would have to be. Uh, I agree that I. I worry about how, how this would actually be put in place. I totally am a free market person. I it have just, to be voluntary in some sense. Right? Yeah, it has to be totally voluntary. Uh, one thing you can do, though, is as a government, you can, you can announce, this would be my idea if I were to do it. And I would, it, it's, a too, it's such a big idea that it's hard to imagine. It's just that we have to imagine, we have to re remember that we have a pretty serious environmental problem. We throw away a lot of shit, and, and, then we have, and that forces us to consume more natural resources in order to consume more shit. And so, and what if, what if we really and truly recycle absolutely every article of everything that is consumed, then you're looking at a, uh, a, a pretty, pretty serious reduction in, in, in our exploitation of natural resources because we're yeah. re reusing. It is a natural, it is in a sense, a new natural resource. I think you would get, it would work if you announce, uh, it would be quite simple, I think. You simply suggest, you set up programs so as to encourage, you don't force, you, but you set up, say, websites with information on how to do this and how to do that. And then you announce that within, in the next, over a long period of time, there's a 30-year plan to completely remove all elements of social welfare from our society so that people know that in 30 years' time, there's a, and it'll be incremental, there'll be no more uh, you know, social assistance, no more employment insurance, no more working workers' compensation. Uh -huh. All these, all of these base subsidies. I think you're laying out anarchism no, there a little bit, in a way. No low-income housing. You would get a, a, and 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 if people know they're not going to have that, then they start to think differently pretty quickly. And then you say, well, we're also going to set up an infrastructure. We're not forcing you to use it, but we're setting up an infrastructure which will make it way, uh, which will make it very logical for you to to engage in such an economy. In other words, you can recycle everything, and you can re, you can you can 
gather up everything. You can reuse it. You can turn it into something else, and uh, and it'll it'll it, it'll create another dimension of wealth. I, just, I I have a feeling that this is the and there. By the way, there are cultures that do this already. It's just that it's not so organized. You know, there's shantytown cultures. Shanty uh, in South America are known to to get rich. They uh, they they become relatively sophisticated uh, towns. You know, they have plumbing and electricity and all this kind of stuff. And they're shanty towns. Uh, they're outside. Uh, you know. I think one of the reasons why shanty towns developed is they were outside tax zones. People didn't want to be inside cities. So one of the reasons why I got interested in this in the first place was I realized that the nine to five job, the, the, the money, the money economy grind, uh, it, it wraps you, it gets you, sucks you into this high cost economy. You have to pay your rent or you got to pay your mortgage or, and you got, yeah, you have, you have so you have this long list of bills, but what if you lived in an economy which had minimal bills, if any at all, you might have to pay for a cell phone or the internet or something, but basically, what if, what if you're, maybe you know maybe you there'd be a, if you're living in a city you'd have to pay property tax, but what if you built your own house then you wouldn't have a mortgage, and you, and uh -huh. your the amount of money that goes into owning a house this type of thing, uh, what if you uh, repurposed uh, old cars and always had a car that was just reconstructed based you know and it cost very little. Uh, I mean, I'm just imagining different. In other words, what if your costs were extremely low? And if your costs were extremely low, you would have time. You, you would, your life would still be structured in an economic way. You'd still have to do stuff. You'd have to grow food. You'd have to make sure your house is, 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 is well insulated and all that kind of stuff. But basically, your, uh, your, your time, availability of time is there. And that gives you time to be more creative, it seems mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, something like that, 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 and uh, just, it seems to me that we can, uh, we, we, we can make life way more stable, way less worrisome, way less stressful. Uh, if we think about, uh, not throwing our wealth away. The only way to properly understand collectives is to think, think of it in small groups. Collectives are made of small groups. Once we step out of that, then we lose the intelligence of the collective. The collective simply becomes something very dumb. Yeah, uh, well, it's, it's uh, it, yeah, the, the group has to be small enough for there to be the intimacy of, of some kind of collective, or let's say group, group, group genius of some kind, yeah. right? There's, there, there's such a thing as a group genius, but there isn't such a thing as a collective genius because if, yeah. it's, if, if, if it's too big, it's, it's always... It's always done through, you know, force or sweeping things under the, the under the rug. Or it's only it's only the small group that makes collective intelligence. Uh, and the small a small group for me is defined by its interperson interpersonal nature. If it's yeah. too big to be interpersonal, in other words, if it's too big for every member of a small group uh, in to know the other. Uh, to know each and every other member, yep. yeah. then, uh, then, it's, then it's not a small group. It's, yeah. it's, it's bigger than that. So, yeah, so you need to have a big group. If you have a, you, we have countries, right? But then the, everything has to be broken down so that each, or, each organization is small enough, you know, to be, to be intelligent, right? Yeah. I think uh, that the notion of individual sovereignty is an inherently male notion. I've been thinking about this lately, and that there's a female equivalent, which is, it has to do with the uh, the making of the person. So uh, the making, this is my female principle, the making of a person is an interpersonal process. 
in other words, it's it's more and a person, of course, is is the flip side of a of an individual. I mean, ultimately, you could argue that they're a, they're the same. I think there's a subtle difference. Um, but uh, women women become persons, and they and they ultimately become uh, individuals, at least in their own minds. And, and of course, there are many exceptions to this, but as a general, as a general identity rule, they 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 exist in groups. They 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 function. They support each other, and they become they become whole persons through through the inter support of each other. And uh, and so there's a, there's a much more greater sense among among women of the of the social process, which makes them whole, which makes them. Uh, Makes them oh, I was talking to this guy, Pete Vanderclay, Paul Vanderclay. He was saying men have relationships side by side. You know, so you oh. see a bunch of guys sitting together. They're like they're side by side each other, eating their eating their lunch. You know, at the construction site. You know, whereas women yeah, are men. Men don't engaged. relate to each other nearly as well. Men, uh, women are just sort of engaged, like almost yeah. right away in in a, in a, in, a, in an intense way, where men are sort of afraid of relationship. Yeah, I mean, we think of that as a weakness, but it can, it can also be viewed as a strength. And I, uh, I think of it as a, uh, you know, it's both a weakness and a strength. And for women too, it's both a weakness and a strength. They're much more socially dependent. Like uh, Camille Paglia uh, sort of negatively said, you know, women, they always go around in groups, you know, they, and teenage girls, they'll show up at a dance and there are always three of them together and, and they'll, never, they'll never be independent and come arrive alone. And she said this negatively. And so you can see well, this as a vulnerable. I mean, yeah, more than yeah. right? well, you can see it as a negative thing uh, and you can see the male women. attribute of not being, not being interpersonal as a negative thing. But you, I think the whole idea of the sovereign individual really has, has something to do with solitude, has something to do with uh, taking yeah. a long walk in the desert, proverbially speaking, uh, yeah. so as to become a, a more complete person. You know, the, the, the man needs to, def you know, in some form of solitary way, face the world, while the woman uh, faces the world with with the with with you know she gets by with a little help from her friends. Much more, it's much more explicit in her uh, in 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 the way she runs. Well, I also have this notion of cumul accumulation. Every time you take out resources out of the ground or whatever, you're you're always getting a little bit richer. And even theoretically, every time you grow food in a field and you eat it. You're, it's not just energy consumed because theoretically you, you, you shit it in the toilet, but that's actually wealth if you if you properly harvest it. You know, in other words, we can uh, if if we're really smart with resources, we can get richer in a because we waste absolutely nothing, and and it seems to me that yeah. nature can can properly recover because we're not oh, we're not raping we're not raping the earth too quickly. We're simply taking what we need. Uh, provided that we waste absolutely nothing, you don't throw anything away, uh, and th and that that vision of 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 drawing from the earth, of uh, of exploiting natural resources seems to make make sense to me. That that you know one of the reasons why we're raping the earth is because we're we're wasting. Uh, it's true that the small groups idea is something maybe we should focus on because that is is uh, is a more has more potential uh, for uh, for opening up and working on. Like I feel that I, I I do think that's that's a more it's a more constructive concept in understanding the bottom of hierarchies because we 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 assist people it's through small groups that people develop the competence that that allows them to to find hierarchies yeah you know it's, there's a base and it seems to me that there's a uh, 
that was kind of a, it was like a female realm at one time, you know, it's, it was this breeding ground, like children grew up in these environments where, uh, where they, you know, they develop the confidence and the ability to do stuff. And, and then they, they, they branch out into the world, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this, the, the whole idea of uh, the, it's, it's like the bottom of economies is almost the meaning of the word community or something. You're, I am definitely groping at the edge of something, right? And and I'm and I'm trying to think think up something that doesn't exist, and that's kind of a that's a tough thing to do, right? And uh, but as for the so the small groups thing, we could work on that in a much more. Uh, I think I have a lot more confidence in that idea. That it's uh, it's sort of the flip side of individualism. Mm-hmm. We and it, and it's also the collective. But put it this way. The, the reason why individualism is so important is because it's arguably it's the only way we have positive change. We, we change, first of all, we get better one by one. And then when, when one gets better, then they, 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 they help everybody else get better simply by getting better. And that's kind of what individualism is. The, 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 the individual getting his act together help is, is beneficial to everybody else. And this is the principle of individual. Beautiful thing, but there's a collective side of the individual. Which is that you know you know the and he and Peterson for example knows this but he 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 does he he he's not in the the zone where he can properly articulate it. maybe nobody can articulate it but I I was I will go as far as to say you cannot have an individual without a small group to support the individual and yeah. and in other words there's a a conversation between the individual and the small group and that ultimately is it in other words we don't really have a conversation with the collective that's actually kind of a load of uh, there's something false about that yeah uh, we actually only ever have a small uh, conversation with a small group now we can have many small groups and we can have imaginary conversations with small groups of you know people we imagine uh, there's all but basically we the collective is the small group and then there's and then the larger collective the 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 morass of countless people is basically can is best thought of as a relationship between small groups so at the society you live in if you think of the society you live in as a bunch of small groups then it suddenly becomes way more coherent and uh it's 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 the real sort of building block of social organization makes sense to me yeah yeah and that's i want to work i'd like to we can discuss uh, in other words peterson's uh, take uh, it even though he's he knows that there's a, a a need for some kind of collective expression he doesn't know he doesn't quite know what it is and i i say it is the small group and, well it actually happens around him you know this little group of, of, of friends kind of appears around him right oh absolutely and that and, and i like, think oh, what is what's going on here oh intellectual dark web or or whatever but it's 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 those are the people who are sustaining him in a sense. So it's like, well, I mean, in many ways, this is a, uh, this is a, in many ways for me, this is a, uh, uh, like David Fuller is kind of basically saying we need, uh, we need to flesh out the left side of the left wing side of this. That's what he seems to be saying. And, uh, and so I'm kind of more interested in many ways in what David Fuller's up to, because he understands that, there's a lack. There's a little. There's an app. There's a. There's a yeah. lack there. Uh, yeah. So I'd like to push that idea, and we could try and we can work on it. I mean, we can work on it more at a, in a later time, and and really try and 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 flesh it out as much as possible. I also believe that that, like I said, the small group is kind of. Uh, uh, but the, to repeat what I said earlier on, the person 
and the individual are two sides of the same thing. The person is arguably the female dimension of the individual. They're, they're, they're sort of, and the individual, the undivided self. Okay. Yeah, this is the positive side. The, the person, a person is defined by small groups. A person is an interpersonal process. That's, so it, you cannot think of per, personhood without the interpersonal process that, in, that envelops the person. And so, uh, uh, and this, this, I believe, is, is fundamentally feminine, I think. In its in its in its in its definition, and the male, the undivided self, is is something much more mysterious. It's it's like it's spiritual or something. It's to be undivided. It's a uh, it, you know you come down from the mountain. This undivided uh, this undivided soul. This individual. Uh, it's a uh, it's 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 the maleness. The sovereignty of of the individual is is is. Of course, there's a there's a sense in which a person and an individual come together and are are, are an identity. But there's also a sense in which they have different origins, and one it seems comes a person comes up from the bottom, and and a and an individual some somehow comes down from above or something like that. And uh, so these are yeah I'd like to talk about that, and we can that that would be a much longer conversation, more interesting one I think, and and struggle to talk about it in a way which which really integrates the feminine in a uh, in in a positive and equal way sees it sees the two as a dyad. And they're both coming to, they're coming together to mean the same thing. A person and the individual, the person and the individual are coming together to mean the same thing, but they come together from different sources. Europe, Asia, America 
And the rain. 